It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This is Jamie Turner, co-author of An Audience of One, Drive Superior Results by Making the Radical Shift from Mass Marketing to One-to-One Marketing, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Jamie Turner to talk about the book he has co-authored with Chuck Moxley, An Audience of One, Drive Superior Results by Making the Radical Shift from Mass Marketing to -to One-to-One Marketing, published by McGraw-Hill. Jamie Turner is an internationally recognized author, professor, and speaker. His client list has included the Coca-Cola Company, AT&T, Microsoft, Verizon, SAP, T-Mobile, and Holiday Inn. You may have seen Jamie in Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, Business Insider, or the Wall Street Journal. He's also a regular guest on CNN and Headline News, where he contributes segments on marketing, persuasion, and leadership. He teaches at Emory University and the University of Texas and is the co-author of several business books, including How to Make Money with Social Media and Go Mobile. He's the founder of 60secondmarketer.com and has a popular new YouTube series called In 60. He is also the co-founder of A School Bell Rings, a nonprofit that improves access to education for impoverished children around the globe. And interesting fact... He was born in London, England. Jamie, congratulations on an audience of one, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Hey, great to be here, Doug. Yeah, born in London, England. Uh, got back over there when I was in college uh, for a term of study over there, but absolutely love it. I do not have an English accent because I came back over when I was three years old. My father was a madman, and uh, we were over there for a few years and came back over. But it's great to be on the show and glad to uh, chat about anything you want to chat about. Yeah, and you uh, studied at one point at Oxford, so I want to sp- say a special uh, shout out to all my uh, Listeners in England, home of Ali G. <laughs> you were born in London because your dad worked at Ogilvy. And tell us about your connection with the David Ogilvy. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my father was a madman, worked side by side with David Ogilvy when we were a kid. Uh, Mr. Ogilvy, actually, he always said, call me David. So if you hear me call him David, it's because I have permission from him. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, and he said uh, he, he would come over and hang out at our house uh, when he would do his tours through the United States. He'd have cocktails. He'd flirt with my girlfriend. True story. Actually, it's in one of the auto, uh, one of the books about him. And um, and then uh, and then one day he said to me, I was young. I was 18. I was getting ready to, uh, you know, maybe have a summer internship somewhere. And he said, Hey, Jamie, why in a wonderful English accent, why don't you come over and hang out with me at, uh, Tufu? And I said, yeah, you don't need to ask me that twice. So now that was his estate in France. Yeah, it was a chateau. Uh, and the first thing that happens when you, he greets you, he picks you up at the train station, you go to the chateau, and then he'll take you upstairs to your bedroom. And, and he's, he's, you're walking up these stone steps that are worn down, and he'll lead you up the steps. And he says, uh, you know, these steps were built 300 years before Columbus discovered America. So it really gives you a sense of how old the place was and how beautiful it was. It was just a great experience to hang out with, you know, one of the all-time great advertising people. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, his book, Ogilvy on Advertising, I read it after I got out of the Army, came back to the United States, and I said, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. And so that book is one of two that have had the biggest impact on my, on my career. So that's really exciting to know about your that, uh, connection. That is fascinating. Like a book changed the trajectory of your life. And I'm, I'm dying to know what's the other book that you said kind of got you doing something that was really important to you. It was an early edition of the new rules of marketing and PR by David Merriman Scott. So, yeah. But it's so true that the right book at the right time can really change the trajectory of your career and your life. Mm -hmm. And so I happened to read his book at that point. All I knew is I didn't want to be in the Army anymore. I left. <laughs> I said, I got to go find something else to do. And I, I started looking at a lot of different careers. And I, I, a buddy of mine I'd been in the Army with who was living in New York, he said, you ought to think about advertising. I know you pretty well. I think you might. I said, I don't know anything about it. I went back to where I was getting my MBA and asked a professor who'd worked in advertising. I said, all right, what's one book I could read so I could determine if I'm interested? She handed me a copy of that book. Wow. And wow. And I still have the book. And anyway, late, so I was in advertising for the longest time up in New York. And then the whole advertising thing changed, which we actually might talk about because you cover it very nicely in your book about how the whole, <laughs> the whole world has changed. And yeah. so I kind of thought the gravy train was coming to a stop, and I, I stumbled upon David Merriman Scott's book and felt like I had another, a second bite at the career apple. And oh, That's uh, great. So I've interviewed him several, he was the very first guest I ever interviewed, and he's actually coming on this year to talk about the eighth edition of the New Rules of Marketing PR, and I couldn't be more honored to um, have him on the show. So those were the two. But uh, I just have to say that your book, An Audience of One, I was so relieved when I found out that this book... Uh, an audience of one was not about the marketing book podcast audience uh, because yeah. I I, I, yeah. I think I have a few more listeners, but you know sometimes I wonder who is who is listening, and I, I do hope that all the listeners will <laughs> reach out to you. Um, so 
so the, so it's funny because I do listen to another podcast. You're probably familiar with Smartless, which is great. And whenever they refer to their listeners, they say listener. And I always think they mean like, hey, all we have is one listener. So so we'll just talk to that. <laughs> right. but no, one one to one marketing is uh, is about one to one marketing, how to personalize your stuff and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's really works out uh, perfectly. Yes. So uh, now for those uh, that are longtime followers of Marketing Book Podcast Trivia, I do have to uh, make something clear. You went to the University of Texas in Austin, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I went to high school in San Antonio, and I think there were like 49 in my class, and I think about 20 or 25 went to the University of Texas. That's where all the right. cool kids went for the for everyone out there. <laughs> so Jamie Turner's a cool guy. But I've also interviewed two authors who are graduates of the University of Texas, Tom Martin and Shama Hyder. Oh, wow. But I've also interviewed two authors who are graduates of Texas A&M University. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a real, you know, there's a real rivalry there, okay? And uh, one of them is Chad S. White, and the other is Wendy Covey. So now with you, the balance of power has shifted back to the University of Texas, and Aggies just aren't going to stand for that. So now I'm going to need to go – that'll be the number one criteria moving forward is I have to right. find another author who went to Texas A&M, which makes me think, um, you know, Chip Heath uh, of, the, of the Heath brothers, Chip and Dan mm-hmm. Heath, he's got a new yeah. book out called Making Numbers Count, The Art and Science of Communicating Numbers. I wrote to him to invite him on, haven't heard back, but you know, I face rejection every day. But if there's any listeners out there that might want to reach out to Chip Heath and say, hey, you got to get on the Marketing Book Podcast, I'd really uh, appreciate it. So I, I think that's a great idea. And by the way, I went to the University of Texas in an era, it's a great school now. I went back when if you had a checkbook and a pulse, they let you in. So it was easier to get into in my era. And then all of a sudden they said, uh, hey, we've got all this uh, oil money. Let's make this a great university. And it was very good at the time I was there, but it's become a great one since then. So uh, today I would uh, do the SAT and they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even open the envelope. They'd go, yeah, this does. Yeah, we can just tell this is not going to be somebody that's up up to snuff for us. So oh it's wow, a great university though. Yeah, yeah, probably the same for my alma mater. But you you still have a checkbook and a pulse, so you've got that so going for good. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, this book was endorsed by several uh, notable thought leaders, including three past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast: Michael Brenner. Uh, mm-hmm. Jagdish Sheth, who you probably know mm-hmm. at Emory, and uh, Dave yeah. Kirpin. So I was very excited. And I have to be honest, the book was an adventure. I learned so much. And a lot of people ask me, Douglas, you've read probably 400 of these books. Are you, are you still learning something? And usually the answer is, yes, I'm afraid I keep learning because I'm slapping my forehead saying, how did you not know that? <laughs> so yeah. this one really was a, a different area for me, and I really appreciate the way that you all presented it, because a lot of it's somewhat technical, and you have to have a lot of you have to explain the context of it. But it was uh, it was it was terrific. So, well, it's just to jump in on that. We we knew that it would run the risk of traditional marketers, and I'm a traditional marketer because I came out of the world of branding, and and you know, back in our day, you could go in and there was no metrics or measurement for a TV commercial you ran other than trying to watch sales. And That's uh, why we call it the good old days, Jamie. 
It, it was the good old days. It was like, and but now fast forward and everything is measurable, virtually everything. And so, so we knew, Hey, we're getting into an era of, of data. So how do we make this interesting? And I kept going to Chuck and it really seemed to have worked out. I said, believe it or not, it's a in-depth book with a ton of information, but we said, we want to write this as for somebody who is a senior in high school or a freshman in college. And here's why, because all of the professionals listening to this now, when you read a business book, typically you're reading maybe when you get into bed at night and you're flipping through some pages. And if the book is too technical or too in the weeds, it gets boring and you just close the book and fall asleep. So we said, we just got to make this as interesting and fascinating as possible so that somebody who's at the end of the day and, you know, they're tired a little bit can read it, learn something, but also enjoy it. So we firmly believe learning can be fun. And so that's what we did was we made sure that it was a fun read with a lot of case studies, a lot of examples and things like that. And, uh, and that's the feedback we've been getting so far. So it's terrific. Well, and your sense of humor comes through. Um, I think it was a difficult book to write just because of what you all, it's like you said, I want to climb Mount Everest (laughs) and here's how we're going to go do it. So uh, hats off to you. Um, I want to read just from the introduction um, on page uh, 16 and then uh, get into some of the really, really good stuff. This is page XVI for those listeners in Rome. If you're interested in how organizations are targeting and tracking consumers while at the same time protecting their privacy, then you've come to the right place. This is a book about using information that has been ethically collected to design marketing campaigns that are then hyper-targeted to consumers in an almost one-to-one fashion. But this is not a book that's just about technology. Instead, it's a book that's about technique, one that any marketer can use to create meaningful, authentic dialogues with prospects and customers that can help build a bridge between your brand and the person who might buy your product or service. Traditionally, marketers created a single campaign and blasted it out to a mass market in the hopes that the message would resonate with some of the people who saw the ads. But for those who are willing to learn the new techniques outlined in this book, the future is very different. Instead of mass marketing, we'll show you how to do one-to-one marketing where you can create Create a meaningful, authentic, resonant campaign that speaks to individuals rather than audiences. If that sounds like something you'd like to do with your next campaign, then let's get started. There's a revolution going on, and we don't want you left behind. Now, for a book, a marketing book geek like me and many of my listeners, I have to mention that the introduction was written by Don Peppers and Martha Rogers, who are co-authors of the 1993 book, the one-to-one future, building relationships one customer at a time, a dog-eared copy of which is in my hand right now. <laughs> I pulled it off the <laughs> shelf. That is a really, really big deal that uh, you got them to uh, write the forward. And I just want to mention something from page nine about the book and then ask you to talk a little bit more about it and and maybe explain uh, how you were able to get them to write uh, uh, this beautiful forward. In, in your, in the this isn't from the forward, but you write, the ideas that Peppers and Rogers espoused were so revolutionary in the marketing world that Inc. Magazine's editor-in-chief called the one-to-one future one of the two or three most important business books ever written, while Business Week called it the Bible of the New Marketing. 
For people working in the emerging field of database marketing whose companies were investing heavily in the ability to personalize communications to prospects and customers, the one-to-one future became their Bible, the promise of an entirely new world in which data-fueled one-to-one marketing. So that was all... They were clearly writing it 30 years ago. So can yeah. you say a little bit more about this uh, this book? Yeah. So they wrote the pivotal book uh, 30 years ago. They, uh, But a lot of it was, uh, here's where things are headed. Well, fast forward to today, and we actually have the ability to do all of the stuff that they talked, most of the stuff that they talked about in the book. So, so Chuck and I had been working on it for quite some time and sat down and said, hey, you know, we should, uh, we were both connected uh, to, to Don Peppers on, on LinkedIn, said, let's reach out and see if they'll write the forward. And uh, uh, they were both very happy to write the forward. And, and it was great to, for them because they saw, hey, everything that we talked about has come into fruition. And now here's the pivotal book that says, here's actually how to do this stuff on a step-by-step manner. So it worked out perfectly for us. So you knew David Ogilvy. You now know Don Peppers and Martha Rogers. Jamie Turner, you know people. <laughs> I do know people and I know, uh, and, and they're all fun. Uh, uh, you know what, just to jump in on that, this is a, a tangential thought, but one of the things that I've noticed with all of the, the greats, uh, almost all of them is that they have humility at their essence. So for your listeners who are listening right now and going, Hey, I'm at a conference and Seth Godin is on stage or whatever it is. Seth Godin will talk to you, you know, he'll be happy to share insights. So don't hesitate to walk up to people and say, Hey, uh, I got a question for you about my career. Everybody, every leader I know, all the people you've talked about, uh, all the people you've talked to on your podcast are at their heart and soul, kind and gen- generous people. So, so if you're listening to this and wondering how to get to know big wigs in the industry, walk up to them, shake their hand and say, I got a question for you. Can I get your help? And they will say, sure, what do, you, what do you need help on? And just say, I'm uh, at a crossroads in my career. Can you help me make a decision on should I turn left at this juncture or turn right? They'll help you out, and then you'll get to know them and be able to you know, talk to them later, too. And just so the listener knows, that's the conversation that uh, Jamie and I had before the interview. And he said, Douglas, um, I'll give you career advice later. Can we talk about my book first? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and likewise, I did the same with you. Hey, Douglas, I need to know which which direction should I go here. So, Right. No, it's um, so yeah. true. I mean, even Seth Godin, I've had the honor of, of interviewing him twice, and that guy is just as nice as he is smart, which makes him one of the nicest people out there. And, you know, it's funny you say that. I've interviewed almost 300 different authors, a lot of them come back. And I think I've only interviewed two that were rude. All the others are so nice. And they're, I think in part, you know, they're generous. Look, they wrote these books. They, they pour out their, their heart and soul and blood. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, they put their careers and their marriages at danger uh, by writing these books. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's, I, I really appreciate it. Um, well, you, you know, one of the things that causes that I think right now is there's a, and my first book was about social media. The, there's a lot of negative about social media that I agree with. I don't think it's a healthy thing, but one of the advantages of social media. So we've been in the social media era for 15, 18 years now is that 
is that if you're a jerk to people, other people will find out because <laughs> there's social media out there. And so what we're finding when we take a look at leaders at corporations is 50 years ago when you and I were younger and or even when we were in, you know, elementary, middle school, all that sort of stuff, you could be a jerk to people and rise to the top of an organization that doesn't happen anymore. And the reason is, is because people are transparent about what's going on in an office because they'll tweet about it. They'll put it up on Facebook. They'll talk about it on LinkedIn. In, and if that happens, so what we're seeing now is though those people who are more humble and kind are the ones that actually rise to the top where it wasn't that way decades ago. Yes, and that's a very good thing. It's funny you say that about social media. Just this week, I deactivated my Facebook and Instagram accounts mm, yeah. <laughs> just to see what would happen. And uh, I, I'm doing really well. So... <laughs> Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I know you, most people uh, are on it and they enjoy it. So let's just jump into um, the first chapter. And uh, I want to read the title to chapter one on page three and ask you, Mm -hmm. which is actually a question, (laughs) and ask you to explain or ask you to answer. What is one-to-one marketing? A great question. So we are... And as I like to say, I'll be back in about 45 minutes and see how you're doing. Actually, I can I can distill it down to some pretty simple concepts, and then we can peel away the onion as we go through the interview Great. and talk about uh, what, what makes it what it is. Essentially, one-to-one marketing is we now have the ability to hyper-target and track uh, people through the sales funnel. Now, for those of you who are nervous about the tracking part, I'll walk you through in a minute why you shouldn't be. Um, uh, but let's get to that in a second, because mm-hmm. we do protect your your personal information as well as your identity. We don't actually know who you are. We just know your behaviors. And I'll explain why that's relevant in a minute. But in, but in the old days, as we've talked about, hey, I ran a TV commercial. We had a Super Bowl commercial. How did it do? Well, I don't know. The, the CEO seemed to like it and the sales team seemed to like it and the marketing director seemed to like it, but, and we kind of tracked sales and we said sales went up, uh, but, but we don't actually know if it was because of the Super Bowl commercial we ran or if it was the promotion that we ran and the, or the sales promotion we ran, all those things. Nowadays we can actually go in and for the most part track things. Yes. On TV, um, as well as digitally with, uh, anything on digital, uh, any digital platform. But then what makes it so fascinating is not only are we able to hyper target people based on their behaviors and their wants and desires. And by the way, studies show that people prefer personalized messaging and they prefer relevant advertising. Mm -hmm. And so one-to-one marketing gives you the ability to go in and make your ads more personalized and make your ads more relevant. And the studies show that when you do that, your conversion rate on the back end is actually higher. So in a nutshell, one-to-one marketing is the ability to hyper-target people and follow them through the sales funnel and then reconcile that data on the back end, even if they buy the product at a retail location. So for those digital marketers going, hey, e-commerce lets you follow people through and we can track them and see if they bought it on the website. This goes a step further. You can actually, in in some cases, not all cases, tie the data together on the retail side and say uh, that Mercedes-Benz commercial that we sent uh, to Douglas Burdett 
five months ago resulted in him buying at his local dealership the Mercedes-Benz we advertised to him five months later, and we've got all of the data all the way along to track that through and show that it actually happened and resulted in a sale. And until I read the book, I was a little skeptical. Uh, but you explain mm. uh, how this all works and uh, also show how pres- uh, respecting your customer's privacy can be an enormous competitive differentiator. Yeah, and a lot of people think, well, you know, we're going to be noodling around with uh, uh, personal information. So let's uh, let's be let's uh, let's not talk about it. Let's look the other way. No. The opposite is true. Again, research I conducted out of Europe and the United States said when you are a corporation and you go in and are fully transparent, that builds the trust you're looking for. And when you go in and say, here's exactly what we do with your data and information, and it's not buried in stuff, and you're just out front with it, people respect that. They like that. And here's the good news. Nobody wants to be the next Facebook Cambridge Analytica. Mm. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. So all brands are sitting around at the board level saying, what can we do to make sure we don't get burned on on any of this stuff that's going on? Because the data is out there. What can we do to make sure that we don't get in trouble on that? Well, there are companies now, any company doing proper one-to-one marketing says, we have our first party data. This is the data that's been given to us by our customers, either through purchases or emails, signups, all that. We're going to go take that to a third party. They are going to take that data and then enhance it with other lookalike audiences where we can say, hey, here's our customer. Please go find more people like that. But you're a third party company. We don't want the names, anything like that. All we want is the data and sub-segments. So what we can do is then it protects the brand by going to these third parties and they can go in and say, you all keep the information. We don't want to do that. And that's that's the way that brands are making sure that they're not invading people's privacy and they're respecting it while the individual is able to see stuff that's more relevant to them, that's more helpful to them, that's more in tune with what they're looking for. So there are ways to make sure that the personalization doesn't uh, cross the lines of invading people's privacy. Mm. Well, let me ask a couple of uh, maybe obvious questions. You mentioned Mercedes. You've got a lot of business to consumer examples in the book. Does this only work for large brands or how small a company can this relate to? It can work. There's actually, uh, it's funny because I was doing this uh, speech about this the other day and, and always in the audience, somebody raises their hands and say, is this relevant for B2B? Because everybody in the case studies you do as a speaker, you, you do B2C case studies because they're kind of sexier, right? Uh-huh. The good news is this is almost better for B2B than it is for B2C. Now, it's great for B2C, but when that person raised their hand, I was like, I got some good news for you. I'm not going to stand up here on the stage and say, well, this is really better for B2C. I'm going to sit here and tell you, no, you should be getting down to do this because it's so so powerful and so good for you. But in the end, what what uh, it works, it works very well for B2B as well as for B2C. Uh, and companies of all sizes. So let me give you a five, if it's okay, let me give you a five steps to doing a one-to-one marketing campaign. And those five steps will include everything from very simple things that everybody listening to this podcast is already doing all the way up to more advanced stuff where it helps you understand, hey, hey, here's how to use our data. Is that okay? Yeah. Jamie, you're making this too easy for me. (laughs) 
Well, let me. That's great. I'm glad glad to glad that that uh, works out for you. So here here's one to one marketing in five steps. And again, some of them are things you're already doing. I know you are. First step is think backwards. The second step is be radically authentic. The third step is personalize your ads. The fourth step is hyper-target your campaigns. And then the fifth step is leverage your data. So I know for sure everybody listening to this is already doing steps one, two, and probably three, and then we'll get into four and five. Real quickly, think backwards is what we all do. Get inside the mind of your customer. Think through what it is they're actually buying. Everybody listening to this knows when you go into Starbucks, you're not buying a strong cup of coffee. You're actually buying the experience of Starbucks. You're buying the environment, the smell, the sounds, the music that's playing in the background, the baristas that are friendly and all that sort of stuff, all of that adds up to why you'll pay five bucks for a cup of coffee rather than going down the street and paying a dollar. When we get inside the mind of our customers and think backwards, what are you actually buying? You're not buying a strong cup of coffee. You're actually buying the experience. Suddenly we can do that. And everybody listening to this can and should be doing that already. The second thing is radical authenticity. We're in the authenticity movement right now. There's a grittiness in some advertising that's happening where people are saying, I don't want a sales pitch. What I want is to hear about the real you. And when we talk about that, you can look at what happened with Pepsi versus what happened with Nike in terms of radical authenticity. When Nike went in with Colin Kaepernick and said, hey, we're going to support Colin Kaepernick, Their stock price went up, their sales went up, people approved of that because Nike's authentic brand was about perseverance and pushing through. So when they supported Colin Kaepernick, that actually worked to their benefit. What happened when Pepsi went in and said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and dive in and use the Kendall Jenner campaign where we go in and say, hey, if you just put a Pepsi in people's hands, then all these protests will go away. It backfired because they realized, hey, Pepsi's just going in and trying to leverage a, a bad situation to sell more sugar water. That's just inauthentic and bad. So so the second step is to be radically authentic. And when you think about that, you go in and you say, hey, Pepsi, Nike, let's be on the Nike side of that equation. Now I'm going to go through steps three, four, and five, but Douglas, I'll pause there for a second. Just see if there are anything, any questions you have so far on where we've gone on this journey of actually how to do one-to-one marketing. Not yet. I think those are two great examples about the uh, authenticity. Um, the other thing I'm just wondering, I think even in the book, you said, you know, some of the, these, these are things that even a local coffee shop could be doing. Right. And that was, that was the origin of your question was, hey, yeah. how big a company do you have to be? Hey, good news is your local coffee shop can do exactly that. So what I always encourage people to do is find out what is at the heart of your brand. What's your authentic purpose? Crayola, as an example, their authentic purpose is not sell more crayons or anything like that. It's to unleash the originality in every child. That's a great purpose. That's an authentic purpose. And Dove does the same thing where they go in and they say, no, our goal isn't to sell more Dove soap. It's to help women everywhere develop a positive relationship with the way they look, which is a really genuinely kind of cool thing. So then we get to the third step. The first two, everybody should be doing that already. Uh, The third step is personalization. And we have tons of data that shows 
shows that when you personalize your marketing, people respond better. 80% of the people surveyed said they're more likely to purchase from brands that personalize their experiences. And then you get into 91% say they're more likely to buy from brands that recognize them and provide relevant offers. And if you just think about that anecdotally, yeah, when I get an ad that talks to me on a more personalized basis, and it can be a social media, uh, paid, paid social media ad, it can be an organic ad, it can be a TV commercial when they're talking to me about my stuff then it works out really well. So the third step is personalization. The fourth step is to use data in order to start to really personalize your ads. And if you, uh, Douglas, are, are you at all a, a um, do you like, I'm sure you like looking at the stars. Any chance you're an astronomer? Do you have a telescope? Any chance? Weird question. No, I don't. Okay. So when you look through a telescope at a single dot of light, you can tell a lot about that dot of light and you can tell a lot about the universe just from that dot of light. This, we can do the same thing when we look at individuals. We can learn a lot about them. And for those listening who are a little nervous about the, you know, hey, about their personal data, um, I'm going to say something a little outrageous here. I apologize up front. Your privacy was gone in the mid-1960s when the direct response world came in and they knew your your credit score, they knew where you banked, they knew where you traveled, and it's been gone since then. Now, the cool news about today is we're taking steps to make sure that we pr protect that. So I'll round the bend here real quickly because I'm, I'm going pretty deep pretty quickly. But personalization is important. And then from there, you get into the, the actual fourth step, which is hyper-targeting. Now that we have data about our customers, let's start hyper-targeting them. That's where you really get into one-to-one -one marketing. And that's where the book can walk you through the steps. And then the final step, of course, is to follow that all the way through to the end where we tie the data together from where you bought the product at the end to where when we sent the ad to you to begin with and you can do that and all of that goes through steps in the book and it walks you through a step-by-step -step plan on how to do it so it's the kind of thing that if you're interested in this and you should be because the data shows your sales will increase uh, one of the things we love to say is one-to-one -one marketing helps you understand how to increase your sales by narrowing your focus mm -hmm. and so that actually works out well so i'll pause there doug i i i went i went long there and uh but hopefully that will work out for your listeners to understand the steps involved. Not a problem. And I bought lots of extra audio tape at Costco today. So we're uh, <laughs> perfect. We're, we're good we're to off go. To the races. Yeah, I knew this would happen. <laughs> so I would say about the, I don't know, first hundred pages or so, you explain one to one marketing by contrasting it with traditional marketing. Mm -hmm. And having come from, you know, Madison Avenue and being a traditional marketer, I, I thought you were picking a fight with me at first, but it really worked out well. And uh, <laughs> you were even talking about unethical practices, and at which point I was writing things like, you say that like it's a bad thing. No, I'm kidding. I didn't really say that. <laughs> That's great. But now I see why you did it. So, uh, and the reason it was so, it seems so important to write it the way you did is that there still seems to be like a hangover or muscle memory for most businesses of blasted out there, you know, traditional marketing reach a lot of people. And one of the most interesting things in the book is where you write that one-to-one -one marketing 
isn't just about data or technology. It truly represents a paradigm shift for marketers. That was the biggest takeaway from from having read the book. So in other words, your book helped to rewire part of this knucklehead's marketing brain. So to help people understand or just give them a taste of of the differences, I was wondering if you could explain the differences at a high level between the the traditional marketing versus the one-to-one marketing. And there is one chart on page 89, which was Mm -hmm. one of my favorites, where you explain one-to-one marketing, what it is and what it isn't. But before we go into that, I just wanted to mention that nobody is doing only one-to-one marketing, right? In other words, there are traditional marketers out there that are also doing one-to-one marketing. And you can't just flip a switch and suddenly go to to one-to-one marketing. That's completely unrealistic and not a good idea. But it's something that uh, I think would help to push people in that in that direction by thinking about how could we be marketing on a one-to-one basis rather than uh, reflexively going to the idea of let's just uh, make a lot of noise, let's blast it out there, let's run an ad. So can you walk the listener through the big differences there? And just remember, listener, we're not saying that one is worse than the other. One is more effective, ultimately. But it's not like if you're doing traditional marketing things, uh, you're not um, Satan. Correct. And a couple of things you said that I am so thrilled that you that you said you, you said it rewired your brain, made you think about marketing in a different and new way. Absolutely wonderful. That was entirely our uh, intent. And we said we are not throwing away mass marketing. We're saying that you have to rethink about how you do marketing and that you do both mass as well as one-to-one marketing. Um, and that, that's why we use the phrase tech, technique rather than technology. We've intentionally went through and said one-to-one is about a technique. It's about a series of things that you do. It's not about flipping a switch with a technology. Although there's technology involved, the it's really about the techniques. So two things there. One is you you, you said, hey, uh, it re, re it made me think about marketing differently, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what we have to do. Because if you if you think about it, we're all out there competing against our competitors in our space, and if we don't come up with new and better ways to do things, then we're going to get left behind. Because our competitors are always out there trying to go, what's next? What's next? What's next? And if you're not right up there with them or ahead of them, then they're going to get ahead of you, and that'll be bad for your business. So we really intentionally said, let's make absolutely sure that people can embrace this as a technique and a series of techniques rather than just a technology. Uh, In the end, what we wanted to make sure people understood was mass marketing is not Satan. Like you said, it's not bad. It's just not as effective. And the ROI isn't as good in most cases as one-to-one marketing is. It's still important to do mass marketing if you're building brand awareness. Hey, we don't necessarily want to close the gap yet. We are just trying to let people know about our product or service in general. That's great. Top of the funnel stuff works for uh, for all marketers. So let's run radio, outdoor, TV, all that uh, traditional TV, all that sort of stuff. When we get people in the middle or the bottom of the sales funnel, that's where we start incorporating one-to-one. And we say, all right, now let's start taking data, 
figuring out who's more likely to buy our product or service based on the data that we have, and then use that to hyper-target people and talk to them in a more personalized way so that they lean in to our ad instead of going, oh, it's just another sales pitch. They go, oh, this ad is actually speaking to me and my needs specifically. And what's so cool is that we can follow them along in their journey and see what they responded well to and what they did and all that sort of stuff so that ultimately in the end, we can close the loop and sell them something and make money for our business and satisfy their need for the product or service that we're selling. So it works out really well. Yeah. So you mentioned the sales funnel there and chapter six is titled, The Sales Funnel Isn't Dead. It just needs a kick in the butt. You said butt. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I get that joke. I'm sure most of your readers do too, but but I Uh, love that. So so explain what you mean when you say that the the sales funnel needs a a kick in the butt or at least a re-examination. A re-examination. You know, uh, what What a lot of people, uh, the traditional sales funnel, and I teach it at, at the university level as well as in keynotes and things like that, is, hey, it's a great model to understand, you know, kind of the theory of how people go through a, a sales funnel, starting at the top, getting to the middle, going to the bottom. Great as a back of the napkin, you know, just sort of chit-chat thing. But the truth is, is that we don't go through the sales funnel in a linear fashion. We go through it in a non-linear fashion, which means we may start in the middle of the sales funnel and jump back up to the top and explore our options in a broader way and then go back down to the bottom. Or all of us listening to this and talking right now have had times where they bought something on impulse. We were at the very bottom of the sales funnel right from the get-go and then backed up after buying it and did the top. So the the, the journey through the sales funnel is non-linear as opposed to linear. It's not A, B, C, D, E. It's A, Q, S, M, Z, <laughs> why. And all of a sudden, when you realize that you go, Hey, the cool thing about one-to-one marketing, it doesn't matter how you go through the sales funnel. It's not a linear process. We'll follow you around. We'll show you things that are relevant to you. We'll personalize what we show you so that it's uh, meaningful to you. And we'll be able to do it, whether you're on your TV set, on your iPad, on your laptop, on your iPhone, doesn't matter. We'll be able to do all of that and be able to close the loop for you and 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 make sure that when we spent a dollar on our marketing campaign, we generated more than a dollar in profit from what we did. Yeah. So on page 92, moving on, you write that some people confuse the differences between goals, objectives, strategies, and tactics. What? They're not the same? Can you take a stab at, at, at clearing that up? Yeah. Uh, and it sounds uh, so simple, uh, but I so know. many companies get it wrong. They do. They use them, inter- some of them interchangeably. And, mm-hmm. and, and even a lot of people will confuse a strategy with a tactic, even though we think, oh, that should be pretty, pretty straightforward, but it's not. And don't forget, you know, I know when I was in my twenties working at Ogilvy and they would say, what's the strategy for this campaign? I, you know, I'm going to just fess up. I had to go, I, I kind of don't really know 
what a strategy is as opposed to what a tactic is as opposed to what a goal and all that sort of stuff. So a goal is just the, what's the end result? What's the desired end result? What are we trying to accomplish? And it might be, uh, we want to grow revenues in, in, in North America for our brand. Very simple, straightforward. An objective, if it comes underneath that, and it's kind of a, a we all know about smart goals and smart uh, objectives, but it's specific measurable time bound that leads up to the goals. So it would be if our goal is to grow revenues in North America, our objective is to uh, 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 leverage new technologies in order to reach new customers uh, as a way to build more revenue for our brand. So that would be an objective strategy is how, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What's our approach to doing that? So we're going to appeal to young people by being more authentic in our brand, something like that. And then the tactics, of course, are the things that are just the tactical components. Hey, we're going to be on Instagram, uh, addressable TV, uh, a little bit of radio, some outdoor, as well as uh, paid social media. And that, that, that's the kind of thing that helps us understand and kind of lays the groundwork for how are we going to move forward yeah and for a military history buff like myself i uh you you warm the cockles of my heart because you started giving examples from world war ii uh, so the Absolutely. goal uh one of the examples of a goal is the desired end result like to win world war ii so the objective a specific measurable time-bound outcome that leads to the goal so example would be to defeat hitler in europe before the end of 1945 the strategy is the approach you use to accomplish your objectives uh to open a two-front war on hitler uh, tactics, uh, mount a surprise attack on Hitler's troops at dawn on June 6, 1944. So it's, 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 it's helpful. And I guess sometimes, uh, it's, it's frustrating when I hear some of these terms used interchangeably, because I know that people aren't benefiting from, uh, knowing that, uh, one of the other big ideas in the book that just got me so excited and, you know, again, also kind of warmed the cockles of my heart is uh, as it relates to growing incremental revenue. And this is where one-to-one marketing really seems to uh, potentially play an enormous role. Yeah. I want to I want to quote where you write, um, the easiest way to grow incremental revenue is to get existing customers to come back more frequently and to get them to spend more while they're at your store. Once you've exhausted that approach, it's time to move on to your next easiest source of revenue, which is to target people who are buying your competitors' products or services. But always start by focusing on your existing customers first before you move on to acquiring new customers. And then there was another uh, great quote on page 132 about that, where you write, Most marketers think the easiest way to grow revenues is to focus on acquiring new customers. Actually, the opposite is true. It's easier to grow revenues by getting existing customers to buy again than it is to get a new customer to buy from you the first time. And yet, (laughs) and yet, I, I run into a lot of companies that aren't necessarily thinking that way. So I'm hopeful that understanding one-to-one marketing might push them more in that direction. What are your thoughts? Yeah. uh, Data shows that it's five times easier to get an existing customer to buy again than it is to get a new customer 
to buy the first time. So you have to spend a dollar to get an existing customer to come back again, but you have to spend five dollars to get a new customer to come in for the first time. So think about a restaurant. It's always great to, as for that topic, to think in a case study of a restaurant. You're at a restaurant. You're in charge of marketing. The your the boss comes in and says, "Hey, we need we need to bump up revenue quickly." The very first thing you do is get the people. Let's say you're you run a Mexican restaurant and you say, uh, hey, we know that we have a certain number of customers who come in once a month. The easiest thing to do is say, hey, you're here for your monthly visit. Here's a coupon to come back uh, within two weeks. And if you do, we'll give you a a 5% discount on your meal. And that gets those existing customers to come back more frequently. What ends up happening, because that's low hanging fruit, is you end up finding out that, hey, at a certain point, we've gotten that as much as we can. We've nurtured that as much as we can. So then what you do is you go out and you say, all right, let's go and target people who go to Mexican restaurants frequently uh, within a five mile radius and see if we can't run a one-to-one marketing campaign for them. And yes, you can get down to geo-targeting and just say, we want this campaign to run in this five mile radius because studies show that nine times out of 10, when you go to a restaurant, it's within five miles and uh, of your home. So we've target them and we go to people who go to our competitors' restaurants. Now, here's the cool thing. You can get data of just people who went to your competitors' restaurants and not your existing customers. So now you're going in and getting that incremental lift. No longer are you going in and saying, oh, we're just going to blanket it out there and just run it for everybody. You're like, no, our existing customers are already coming back. We're just going to target our competitors' customers because we've got data that they use their credit card at this uh, competitors' restaurant. And so we're going to use that data to hyper-target them and get them to come back. The last place you want to go is to people who don't buy your products or services. So there's a group of people out there, believe it or not, it's hard to believe who don't like Mexican food. I'm not one of them. I love Mexican food, but there's people out there. So you would never want to target people who don't go to your restaurant or your competitors' restaurants because they may not like Mexican food. Now, I've simplified it with a Mexican restaurant, but that can apply to everything in any business using that technique. Focus on your existing customers first, then go to your competitors' customers and ignore people who don't buy your products or services, and that'll help you grow incremental revenue. Mm. It's such great advice. I remember once giving a a talk and somebody afterwards said, you know, if I only had a dollar to spend on marketing, what what, what, what would you do? <laughs> I just, I remember yeah. thinking, I would make sure, I would spend that money making sure I'm selling as much to existing customers first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and yep. people were scratching their head like, oh, what? No, I want more. I want more. I got to fill up that leaky bucket. So y- right. you've talked several times about data, um, and it, you come back again and again in the book uh, about uh, the importance of having information on your customers. And you talk about how. There have been businesses that haven't really paid that much attention, and there was one particularly interesting part of the book where you write that the most successful companies often know more about their customers than their own products and services. But if you yeah. know more about your customers, you're, you're just going to do better. And this came up in, a, in an interview recently with uh, Neil Hoyne from Google about his book, uh, Converted. Explain why Amazon is such a valuable company more valuable than people realize. What is it about Amazon that makes them so dominant? 
Yeah. And it's what they do with their data. They, they, they not only do they have the data, they use it. And so they're constantly A-B split testing, uh, doing all sorts of tests to find out how people interact with things. They change things on, a, on the page. And they're always leveraging that data in order to make sure that they are getting people to respond to things. So, so that's what makes Amazon so successful. Uh, here's the good news. The, all of your listeners right now have data that they can use for their marketing purposes. And the starting point is, hey, if you have an e-newsletter for your company, you've got data. But you've also got data from warranty card information, uh, transactional data when somebody buys your product or service. All of that data adds up to something, some uh, to stuff for you. So then what you have to do is take that to a third party that can sort through the data and clean it up and make it usable for you. And those are basically called uh, data quality and privacy partners or branded data partners. But there's companies out there right now, Nielsen, Oracle, uh, OnAudience, Simplify, Lotomy. These are all companies that specialize in data and using data in order to make sure that you are using it properly to grow your sales and revenues. And their salespeople, if you call somebody up and say, I have uh, 100,000 warranty cards uh, in a shoebox and I've got transactional data and I've got e-newsletter data, the companies that I just mentioned to you, they'll say, cool, we'll walk you through how to use that data more appropriately. And then they'll walk you through it. So there's this mystery, like, what do I do with my data? Hey, guess what? There are people out there that are happy to show you not only how to clean it up, also how to use it, and then also how to protect your customer's privacy when you do use it. Yeah. There's a great section of the book about a data strategy, which you should be thinking about. Very helpful. But just this week, I heard from a listener in Switzerland. Uh, they're in the medical technology field, and he was talking about how, well, we don't really know. Who, we're not marketing to the end user. We're doing it through channels and so forth. What do you, what, what about companies like that that don't sell directly to the end customer, which I think is uh, a majority of companies? Yeah, uh, still okay. You can still use one-to-one marketing because we can actually uh, track. It would be it would be less about tracking um, the specific individual as they go through all the way through the sales funnel, and more about going through that channel or how whatever the model is for your business, and then seeing on the back end. Hey, we we saw that we did we did an A/B split test uh, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, with our camp. Campaign, and uh, half the half the people saw this ad, the other half saw that ad, and then you can track it on the back end, even if you have to go through another third party channel in order to buy the product or whatever, you can still see it on the back end. Here's another actual usage that that would be a, a good example. Um, if you are a pharmaceutical company, now we are hyper vigilant, of course, all of us about HIPAA compliance and making sure that we're not in, uh, invading people's privacy. But if you're a pharmaceutical company, you have to go through the doctor in order to get your, your medicine prescribed. There's data that is out there that shows that here are people who are going to have a propensity 
to suffer from X, Y, or Z disease. You can target those people based on the knowledge of what they do, what they eat, where they go, all that sort of stuff. And you can say, okay, this is going to be a candidate who's more likely to suffer from diabetes than the candidate down the street. We're still, we don't know who they are by name, but we know their behaviors. And so that then we can go in and start using one-to-one marketing to start targeting them and have them then draw, you know, do, uh, do a poll strategy. We're targeting that person who might suffer from diabetes. We know that we don't need to run an ad on the TV to their next door neighbor because that next door neighbor is a marathoner. We know that about them. So we can go in and just target the person who's likely to suffer from diabetes, have them go to their doctor and say, Hey, maybe I should, we should look into this doctor prescribes it and boom, it's a, it's a full circle that's happened based on that kind of scenario. So if you're not selling directly to the end customer, don't mm-hmm. give up. There, there is, there yeah. is, there's a lot that you can do. It's, it's explained in the book. Just a couple uh, other big questions before we wrap up here. One is where you write on page 168. I want, I want to ask why you included this. You write, here's a dirty little secret about marketing that no one talks about. There is no such thing as perfect when it comes to marketing. Is this, uh, uh, like a blind spot for marketers? Is, it, is, is I'm guessing you see that a lot. Yeah. Uh, marketing is messy, uh, just like life. Life is messy too. And so if you accept that and just say, hey, you know what? We're never going to get this exactly right. In an ideal world, we know exactly what should happen all the way through our campaign. We, we can't always make that happen perfectly. But uh, one of the things I talk to people about is that it's better to get 10 things done than one thing perfect. Uh, and I was talking about that. I do lectures around all over the place. And I think it was in Latin America. I said, it's better to get 10 things done than one thing perfect. And somebody raised their hand in the audience and, and said, uh, not if you're a brain surgeon. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that is true. That is absolutely true. If you're a brain surgeon, get it perfect. But we're marketers. We're not yeah. brain surgeons. Yeah. And we just got to, it's better to get 10 things done than it is to get one thing perfect. And so that's one of the things that I always tell people. Yeah. And this isn't rocket surgery either. Right, exactly. Not rocket surgery. Yeah. So Um, uh, I have to mention, uh, again, we're not even scratching the surface uh, of the book here, uh, but I have to mention that uh, later in the book, you write that there are three kinds of people, those who are good with numbers and those who aren't. (laughs) And that's, that's in the chapter, a big chapter about measuring ROI. And you've got several different ways to approach it, some simpler, some more advanced. And it was written... As if your wife is a former CPA, which, as it turns out, is true. So you are probably yes. used you're used to having to explain these things to to financial people. So maybe that's why that that chapter was so complete. So I thank yeah, you for that. And, and well, that's great. And I am not a numbers person, so I sat down and I said, "All right, I've got to explain a, a difficult concept because it gets really, really specific." And the chapter is broken into two things. It's like if you if you if somebody says, "Is our marketing working?" and you just want to 
do it on the back of an envelope. Here's the formula to use. And anybody who's got middle school math can do this formula. If you, on the other hand, your CFO says, can you show me whether our marketing is working? Here's the more complex formula. And it does it in a step-by-step fashion because I was writing for myself. I was saying, I, you know, I, give me a bucket of crayons and I can work all day long with those things, but give me a, a, a spreadsheet and I'll, you know, suffer from trying to make it right. So I tried to dumb it, not dumb it down, but tried to simplify it so that it's step by step by step all the way along on what you do on that, which is sort of, by the way, one last thing I want to say is it, that's the, the idea behind the book. If you're, if you're sitting here saying, well, I'm not, I'm not really a data centric marketer. That's okay. Cause the book is really about how to do marketing in a new way that is going to be the the way it's done from here on out, but in a way that you can understand it and then rewire your brain, as you said, rewire your brain so that you're thinking new thoughts about all of your marketing, whether it's mass marketing or one-to-one marketing. Well, that's great. And I hope that when you shared this section of the book with your wife, she didn't uh, say to you what my wife often says, which is, what do you do anyway? <laughs> I I do get that. I actually had my daughter was over at a friend's house. She was probably about 15 or 16 at, at, at the time. And I'll preface this by saying I'm an author. I speak at events around the globe. I also have uh, online platforms and I consult and I do all these other things. So it's a little wishy-washy what I do do. Mm-hmm. But she was asked by a friend, uh, uh, Lily, what, what, does your, uh, what does your father do? Now, my daughter at the time was like 16 or 17. And she said... I don't know. And so I said, honey, do you understand that now they think we don't communicate? She's like, dad, you do all these things. I don't know. I don't, I, th- if you told me it was one thing I could remember, but I don't know all the things you do. I was like, all right. So I got to simplify that. But that is, uh, that is one of the, one of the hurdles I had to have with my child as she was uh, growing up. So it was <laughs> right. kind of funny. Yeah. Well, last thing I want to ask about from the book specifically is from the very end, Uh, Page 265, explain the following. Most of our success in marketing and in life doesn't come from some secret technology or insider technique. Instead, it comes from better execution. Yeah, I'm glad. You know, first of all, thank you. You you really, I saw on LinkedIn, you, you know, you had the notes that you took in the book and stuff like that. And I, I'm just uh, impressed with the thoroughness that you did. You are the, the Tim Ferriss of marketing podcasts because you go deep, you do your homework, and I just want to honor you and, and thank you for that. And, well, and all thank that. you. In fact, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I have some sound effects here. I don't know if you can hear that, but those are the big applause sound effects. Maybe it didn't come through. It did. It sounded good. It's applause. I, 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 I I feel it. Um, good. And actually your homework. Yeah. And well, I, I, this is the fun thing I get to do at work is this, read the book and then talk to the real live author. And what you saw on LinkedIn is something that a lot of listeners should follow. What I'll often do is because I enjoy myself while I'm reading the books, I will also write jokes jokes I tell myself while reading the book. And what you saw on LinkedIn was something about there, you said there are three things you need, just three things you need to be an effective one-to-one marketer. And the first one was data. And then there were two others that we didn't have time to talk about. And then I crossed out three and then wrote four and wrote the the fourth thing is you should listen to the marketing book podcast. So I just, (laughs) are they funny jokes? No, not at all. But I think they're funny. So anyway, that's- They're dad jokes. They're dad dad jokes. jokes. Thank you. Yeah. 
This so is turning into a good. support group, Jamie. Thank you. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Um, but no, coming back to that question you had about execution. Yeah. In the end, yeah, in the end, um, I was uh, uh, listening to somebody speak once and they said, uh, uh, ideas are like paint. If you buy a bucket of paint and don't apply them, then it's of no use to anyone. And so oh, I that's great. Say, yeah, I always say apply what you've learned, even if it's step by step by step and you're not doing it all just take what you've heard in this podcast about the ideas that resonated with you and start doing them and then read the book and start doing the ideas there and it's not something where you can flip the switch you saw that a lot in the book yes one-on-one thank you is not about yeah it's not about flipping a switch and tomorrow we're a one-to-one marketer it's about an evolution towards that journey of getting more data-centric as well as more specific about how to measure the success success of your marketing campaigns. And if you've ever been asked by your boss or the CEO or the CFO, show me if your marketing is actually working, then this book is for you because this marketing, this book actually shows you how to show people that your marketing is in fact working. Mm, Well said. Well, Jamie Turner, as we wrap up, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Uh, Think about new ideas and embrace them. Don't be afraid of them. When we lean into new technologies, new techniques, new approaches, we are successful. And when we shy away from them, we get passed by. So if you're afraid of getting passed by in your career, lean into the book and lean into the new techniques that are talked about in the book because it'll help propel you forward. Uh, Great advice. Uh, The most successful marketers are so agile and they're comfortable with change. And even in this book, of course, you write about there are a lot of traditional marketers that are resistant to this. And I mean, humans are afraid of change. Uh, It's not what they learned. But I, I could see you several times in the book, you talked about how, oh, why some of the things that you get back from people where they're saying, well, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm not sure about this. It's like it, it makes a pretty compelling case for starting to uh, explore that. So, yeah. Well, what's one thing a listener could do today? Just one to put in action one of the ideas from your book or that we've, we've talked about. Just get that, get that uh, snowball rolling down the hill. Yeah, the the easiest thing to do is to take what you're already doing and try to apply more metrics-based analysis to it or more data to it. So everybody's got an e-newsletter. Everybody probably has warranty card information. Everybody probably has transactional data. Or even if it's just, hey, you know, we talk about measuring our online display campaigns, but are we really tracking them. We know the click-through rate, but what about the engagement rate? What about Mm. the conversion rate on the back end? So take what you're doing already and then just try to do it better with an eye towards metrics and measurement. And that'll get you on the way towards everything that you can learn in the book. That sounds like better execution <laughs> that we were yeah, just talking absolutely. about. Yeah, yep, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I don't. Uh, I would encourage folks to resist saying, "Oh, we don't have the data. We need better data." No, no, you've got it. And you know what that reminds me of is that a company will say, "We need a lot of content. We don't have any content," and invariably they do have content. It just needs to be, you know, pulled out or extracted or or 
or dust it yeah. off. They're thinking, no, no, we need we need all new content. Well, eh, I don't know that you need more. You've, you've got a lot of good stuff there. Get get started with that. So 100, 100% agree with you. And that's actually one of the things I'm focusing on right now is making sure I amplify and repurpose existing content because I used to be guilty of the same thing. Oh, I got to write a new blog post. I'm like, you know what? I've written a thousand blog posts, <laughs> literally more. And I'm just going to go grab an old one, dust it off and, and recreate it for a YouTube video. And I'll be off to the races. So yeah, everybody has more content than they think they do. Right. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I've already answered it in this episode, but what books have most inspired your working career? Uh, well, I'm a voracious reader, as are you. And so I've got piles of books everywhere. Uh, I love reading. It's a, an engaging, fun thing to do. So I do actually have more than just one or two. But uh, let me let me uh, tell you about uh, several. Uh, one is a book by a friend of mine named Tom Stanfill, I think, who I think maybe you had on. Uh, the yes. Author of Un- and he yeah, mentioned Unrest he mentioned your book. That's how I first found out about it. Yet another Atlanta author. I, I'm interviewing yeah. all these Atlanta authors. What's going on well, down there? It's, and it's got a big idea in it, which is how to, you know, we, we think we can convince somebody to buy a product with facts. And he says, no, it's actually about catching them at the right moment. And the book goes into more depth than that. But logic doesn't sell things. Emotion does. And that's something as a marketer, I always say. And he sort of takes that on the sales side of the equation. Atomic Habits by James Clear is surprisingly good. I, I thought, well, you know, it's a book about habits. How good that can that be? And it's really the guy's a great writer. I wish I was half as good as James Clear. Ray Dalio, if you are interested, he's a hedge fund billionaire, uh, wrote a book called The Changing World Order. I love history. And he took a look back in history and said, what are the trends in history that created the great civilizations going back to the Dutch in the 1600s and the British in the 1800s and now the United States? And what happens when those dynamics change and and they come on the backside of where they are. That's a fascinating book. And the final one, can't recommend enough by uh, Bob Iger, former CEO of Disney. It's called The Ride of a Lifetime. What a f- great guy, humble, uh, thoughtful, smart, hardworking everything. And just a, a guy where you read the book and you go, I want to be Bob Iger. And I've read uh, Michael Eisner's autobiography, the other uh, uh, CEO of Disney. And I got to the end of that and I didn't like Michael Eisner at the end of it. I was like, what a jerk, you know, and it was his own autobiography. And I was Ooh. like, man, if you if you write an autobiography about yourself and the reader comes away going, man, what an arrogant SOB. That's not good. Oh, Bob wow. Iger, other side of the other side of the equation. I was like, what a humble smart, thoughtful, decent guy. So great book. It's called The Ride of a Lifetime. Oh, terrific. That sounds very uh, interesting. Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including uh, all the books that you've mentioned. Uh, you, you have a variety of sites. You have like three or four sites. We're going to include links to all those. I'm going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile and your Twitter account. And what I really want you, the listener, to do is, more than anything else, please reach out to Jamie Turner and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. Congratulate him on this book. You know, you could probably ask him a question, and I bet he might even answer it. So <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. I'm always, 
always happy. And for those listeners who are still here, I'm even, let me just go ahead and give out my email address because I don't mind uh, responding to people who reach out to me. I, I love engaging with people. You could just Google me, Jamie Turner, and that would be there or click on the links in the, in the notes for the podcast. But I'm at Jamie at Jamie Turner dot live. So it's J A M I E at Jamie Turner dot live. And just feel free to shoot me a question. Always happy to answer those. Past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast have told me how much they enjoy hearing from uh, listeners who listen to the interview. And you'll only be getting one email because I have an audience of one. Uh, I just want to know. <laughs> I just want to know who that person is, so that I can, you know, send them uh, some stickers or bookmarks or something. <laughs> so, but please, please reach out to Jamie. He's been such a good sport. And, and if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. Final quote. Sorry, Jamie, I can't resist. As we round the bend on the journey we've had together, we'd just like to revisit a topic we discussed earlier in this chapter. Successful one-to-one marketing isn't about reading this book and simply understanding the concepts. Instead, it's about reading the book, understanding the concepts, and executing the plan. If you execute the plan properly and then test your campaigns along the way so you can continuously improve the results, you'll be a one-to-one rock star. And that's everything we intended for this book, to turn you into a one-to-one rock star. Enjoy the journey ahead. You now know more about marketing and more specifically about one-to-one marketing than most other people around you. That puts you in pretty good position to call the shots and get stuff done. Go get some stuff done. The book is an audience of one, drives superior results by making the radical shift from mass marketing to one-to-one marketing. The authors are Jamie Turner and Chuck Moxley. Jamie, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune.